Welcome to Steadfast. I'm so glad to be here with you as we begin a brand new series. A brand new series that picks up on a series from last summer and the summer before, proverbially speaking. This summer, we're turning to the wisdom of Agur in chapter 30, or Proverbs 30, and looking to see what he has to tell us. Here's a wise man. Wise man we know very little about. He's, he's a mystery to us. Scholars have argued over exactly who he is. Some have suggested he was somehow a code name for Solomon, although that seems unlikely. Truth is, we don't really know. He's a mysterious man of God. But we find in Proverbs 30, in God's word, these sayings from him. And over the next few weeks, as we go through them, we'll be seeing different tidbits of wisdom of what it looks like to be a follower of the Lord. What does it look like to live a life that God intends us to live? And in that, we start tonight with where our wisdom is situated in relationship to God's. And as we think about that tonight, let's go ahead and come before our wise God and ask for his guidance. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, thank you for being the God of all wisdom, the God who loves us, the God who guides us, the God who gives us his word. Lord, as we we read your word tonight and we reflect on it, would you help us to see what you would have us to see? and to proceed in life with your wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we often think we know things, and we want people to think that we know things. I would love to be able to tell you who Agar was, because I could demonstrate that I knew something, and especially if many others argue over who he is, and I said, and I have solved it, I know exactly who he is. I found an ancient manuscript that demonstrated exactly who he is. I, I would feel very wise and you would think I was very wise and, and I, it would just be exactly what our human hearts want, right? Thinking about wisdom and how we want people to view us as wise, I was reminded of the first time I ever taught a Sunday school class. I was in seminary at the time and I was asked to teach a youth group Sunday school class and I was learning all this stuff and I wanted to go in there and I wanted to have an impressive lesson. I wanted the, the youth group to think that I was wise and I had all this knowledge to share with them. And so I came in with a seven page manuscript and I read it to the class. It didn't work very well because I was reading a manuscript that doesn't work well in general. And it certainly doesn't work well with a bunch of high school students. And one good thing about high school students is they're not shy to let you know when they don't really think what you have to say is all that great. And, and I left that class that day thinking I never, ever wanted to teach youth group Sunday school again because I'd gone in there thinking I was pretty wise and came out feeling really, really foolish. And, and my lesson plan was foolish. It wasn't a well-constructed plan. It wasn't what I should have been sharing. And, and what I should have been doing is just sharing God's word and, and interacting with them, learning how to apply it into their particular situation instead of coming in with a manuscript like I was giving some kind of scholarly speech and and yet that's what I did. Over the coming months, as I allowed their wisdom to speak into my life, and I, I learned from them, they were willing to learn from me as well, and we encouraged each other, and we studied God's Word together, and we had a wonderful few years together. 
no more days with manuscripts coming into the class. We probably all have those experiences where we went into something feeling like we were really wise and quickly found ourselves being reminded that, that oftentimes we're foolish. We're not wise at all. And sometimes it's a, a youth group that is willing to raise their hands and say, uh, this is stupid. And sometimes it's more subtle things. Sometimes it's much harsher things, maybe a boss that gets angry at you. But, but things happen and we realize that we're struggling just to understand life and how to do it. And where we start with this wisdom from Eger is, is instruction to recognize what we don't know, how we aren't wise. And we pick up right at the beginning of the chapter with exactly that. Let's turn to Proverbs 30. If you have your Bible, please do open it to Proverbs 30. And we read these words. The words of Agar, son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. I bet if you open a book that claims to be from some guru today, someone who's an expert on something, it probably doesn't start like that. If you go to the self-help section of your, your bookstore or you go on Amazon and you use one of those look-in features where you can look at a preview of a book and you start looking through self-help books and so on, those books are going to regale you with how wise the people writing those instructions are. Look at me. I, I have all these successes. I, I've accomplished so many things. Everything's gone really well. And now you should listen to me. Certainly that's what we see on the back cover, but often in the books themselves, the, the books often feel like the author is constantly trying to prove him or herself to us. I'm wise. Listen to me. So what does Agar do here? He does the opposite. He says, I'm too foolish to even be considered a man. If man is a standard of wisdom, well, I'm not that. I'm just dumb. And I'm weary. And things don't make sense to me. Now, given that he's about to dispense wisdom, he might be speaking, as some scholars have said, ironically. He, he's, you know, he's somewhat going over the top in, in, in recognizing his lack of wisdom, but I, I, I don't think it's entirely that. I think he really wants us to know that part of what he's learned is how little he knows. He, he, he looks at the world and he, he looks at how things work and he says, I... I I'm too stupid to be a man. And it goes down to the principle that Socrates once commented that wisdom is knowing what you don't know. Agar, far better than Socrates, knows exactly what he doesn't know. And he's going to help us to think about that as we look at these first few verses tonight, as he then turns to what he has learned with God's help. It's really hard for us to recognize what we don't know. We want to know things. And, and even if we're not trying to impress other people, I think in our own hearts, we want to think that we know a lot about a lot of things. Someone brings up a topic we haven't studied much, and we go into our, our mental Rolodex and we say, I, gotta, I must have something in there. I'm just keep rolling around a little bit. There's got to be something I can say that's going to sound wise or insightful. At least if I don't know, I, I'm going to ask intelligent questions. We, we want to have people think that we know. And that's certainly who we are as a society, as, as human beings in general. 
as as people living in the 21st century, we wanted to think we understood how our world worked until it was forced to shut down a couple of years ago with a pandemic. And I, I think that is something we're still wrestling with how to make sense of as the as the pandemic goes away and flares back up and goes away and flares back up. We still don't really understand this thing that is constantly disrupting how we live. We're reminded that we're really not very good at controlling things and we try, but when we try, it backfires upon us. And for Agar, part of what helps him to see this, not even just part, but ultimately what helps him to see this is that he recognizes he doesn't really understand God. He knows God's there. He knows God is wise, and he's going to go into that more. But he doesn't understand him. He says here, once again in verse 3, he says, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Now, Holy One could be translated several different ways. It could be translated referring to a collection of wisdom. But more likely, the way it's worded, what he's really doing here is saying, this this awe-inspiring God that I encounter, not just his wisdom, but God himself, I, I can't really understand him. I, I can't claim to have solved the mysteries of the one who created everything. And in that, he starts to recognize something very important, which is his place in the universe. And these next few verses, as we go on to, to verse 4, verse 4 is going to set us very much in the mindset of the book of Job. Take a look. He goes on, on and says, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? Surely you know. Now, he's asking his readers this question. And as he's asking, of course, if, if you've done these things, you should put your hand up and say, yeah, I've gathered the, the winds in my fist. I, I've done these things. I've ascended to heaven and descended. But the truth is none of us have. And that's exactly what he wants us to see. It's just like the questions that God poses to Job. There are questions that show that he's God and we're not. And Agar can try to be as wise as he wants. We can try to be as wise as, as we might want or, or, or already feel like we are. But as we face these questions and we recognize, yeah, the creation itself. I, I can't control it. I can't fully comprehend it. It's way above what I can do. And we're struck, even if you study enough science, and by no means am I an expert on virtually any scientific field. But as you study different parts, and you talk to people who are wise in that certain area, you'll hear time and again places where they run into mysteries, where they can't solve things. And we like to think that we can until we can't. It's something that fascinates me about studies of of quantum physics and so on that are way, way above my head. I, I can't even begin to sound wise in them other than to say, as I talk to people who understand them somewhat, I'm always struck by how much they say they don't understand. We don't understand how the universe works. We can try to try to be wise and we can try to be wise in our own lives, but the, the problem is just as we don't understand the universe, we don't really understand how our own lives work. They're a mystery too. We think we have everything plotted out and everything's moving smoothly and we think we have this series of of things that fit together just as a chemical formula might and and then it blows up in our face 
And, and here's the problem is we think that we're wise. We end up trading what's good for what's bad. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. Take a look at verse 22. He says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to be dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul's describing there the fallen human condition. There's all this wisdom out there right in front of us. God himself has, has made himself known in his creation. And what do we do? We, we worship other things. Now, in our modern world, we usually don't worship nature per se. We don't go and worship a tree. We don't worship an idol that we've carved from a tree. But we often worship ourselves. And that's just as bad. And in that, we, we, we're still trying to do what human beings have always tried to do, which is we build up this wisdom in ourselves, but as we're trusting in our own wisdom, we turn to created things we think are going to solve the problem rather than the creator. We come in thinking that we know everything. The fact is we don't. We don't have any experience in building a universe. We don't really have much experience in building a life because we're still figuring it out as we go along. And yet we want to think that we do. We want to think that we do in our own lives and in the lives of other people. And, and it ends up just becoming a mess. Reminds me of a story I always would hear from my grandpa about when he worked as a butcher. And he'd worked as a butcher for years and years. He didn't have any formal education as a butcher. He hadn't gone to college to run a, a deli. He, he didn't have any of that kind of impressive resume that he could put up. But after years and years of, of being a meat cutter and, and working behind the counter and knowing how customers worked and so on, he, he knew exactly how to make customers happy and to provide them with the meats they wanted and all the different varieties of meats and cheeses and how to make beautiful deli trays. He could make a deli tray like no one else. He'd do that at different holidays and it, it was just beautiful. He, he knew how to actually do what mattered. But... Many people looked down at him because he didn't have the impressive educational resume. And the stores would hire some hotshot that had just graduated college, that had a management degree that, that was related to marketing or, or store management, or, or maybe they'd gotten some special certifications on, on running a meat market, and they'd come in and they'd mess everything up because they thought they knew. They, th they had all this wisdom that they thought they had to share. They weren't willing to hear from the one who actually had done it and knew how it worked. Now, when we're talking about human beings with experience, of course that experience can be flawed, and sometimes we need a fresh insight. But when we're talking about God, how much more so is this true? We come into this world and we think, well, I know how things should be. I've read books, I've studied things, I know how certain parts of the world work, and I'm going to say exactly how it should be. I'm going to tell God how exactly it should be, even if we aren't so bold as to verbalize it in that way. We're thinking that. I know exactly how things should be. If it's not that way, I'm going to question why a loving God would ever do things the way that he does, because I know. We're coming in as those who have no experience, and then just a little bit of experience in just a few years that we have on this earth, and saying to the creator of the earth, of time itself, that, hey, I, I, I know how this should be. I know what it should be. I'm going to look at your word, God, and and if it isn't exactly how I want it, I'm going to critique it, and I'm going to say how it should have been written. 
and I'll find a reason to ignore what it said. Now, if you're listening tonight, I'm assuming that you probably are at least willing to hear out God's word. Although maybe you've been wondering, is God's word really trustworthy? Should I really hear it out? And and what about those things that conflict with how I think things should be? Well, as we turn to his word and, and we see the consistency within it and we see how it testifies to the God of the universe and, and, and this Holy Spirit nudges us towards that word, what we're challenged to do is actually listen to it. Not to come to it and try to force it to how we want it to be. I think that's a question that we need to examine our lives with, which is, where do I think that God's word should be different than it is? Where do I go by how I think things ought to be? Because a lot of times I'm going by how I think things ought to be, rather than how they are according to God. And when I I read God's word and it isn't how I think it ought to be, I go with how I think it ought to be. And and sometimes that's very direct and blunt. I know people who just say, well, God's word's wrong in this area. I don't think it would be this way. A loving God wouldn't be this way. A God that understood how life is wouldn't be this way. Sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes it's going and thinking, well, I'm just going to reinterpret this because surely it couldn't be the way it obviously is. And Agar is challenging us as we think we can tweak what God has called us to, to believe and we think that we can somehow shape it to who we are to ask those questions. To ask those questions he has. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the winds in his fists? Who has wrapped up the, the waters in a garment? None of us have. Who should we listen to? Who actually has wisdom? Well, the one who has done this. And that's why he goes to that question, what is his name and what is his son's name? See, part of wisdom, a huge part of wisdom is knowing what we don't know, is knowing our limitations. But the second part of it is that to form true wisdom, what does true wisdom look like? Wisdom is knowing to go to the one who actually is wise. And we see that in verse 5. Agar goes on, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Shield to those who take refuge in him. Every word that he says is true. That is what we see time and again in Scripture. Scripture testifies to Scripture. We can turn to any part of Scripture, all the different authors that have written in Scripture, and and all the ways it connects with history and with people. What do we see? It testifies to itself. Jesus testified to the Old Testament's truth. The Old Testament foretold the coming of Jesus, and what his ministry would look like. As, as we read the history in the Old Testament, oftentimes it gets challenged by people. Well, it couldn't really have happened like this. And then they find an archaeological site that happens to fit with the Bible. Now, as we go through it, we're going to find certain parts of it that we can't immediately find any testimony to, to, to prove what it says. What Scripture says is, look at the whole of it and look at the one behind it and trust that it's true. The challenge is not to just take the parts that have been authenticated other ways, but to look at those parts and then look at all the parts together and see this is a cohesive whole and it's something that's entirely true. If you follow God's word and we trust in it, it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy, but it does mean that we're not going to be tricked. We're not going to be fooled. 
We're not going to be that person coming into the store and changing the whole way that it serves its customers and scaring the customers away. Because we're going to hear from the one who, who actually created the world. He's going to tell us how we ought to do things and, and how we can f- flourish in this life because we're doing what he made us to do. We can't know everything. And that's why we start this whole section on wisdom by hearing about how foolish we are if we really understand. Agar isn't a particularly dumb person. In fact, he's a wise man. But he's challenging us as we look at his wisdom to say with him, I'm not even a man. I'm, I'm below human. I'm subhuman in my wisdom because surely a human being should be wiser than I am. I'm foolish. If we really think about all of the, the mistakes we've made in life, it's not really that hard to get there, is it? To say, yeah, I make a lot of mistakes. I'm oftentimes not wise. Oftentimes the things I think are a certain way end up being different. Oftentimes the way I should handle situations doesn't work out very well. But I know one whose wisdom I can count on. The wording in Proverbs 30 echoes Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. How can we summarize that verse? That verse essentially tells us the whole of wisdom is knowledge of God. Because if we know God, And then we know that even though we can't understand everything, even though we'll never have in our short decades of life enough time and experience and capacity in our brains to to understand how the world works, that the one who does actually let his wisdom descend from heaven in his word. And that we can look at this word, and as we do, we may not understand everything, but he gives us guidance to make sense of it as we go. We rest in his wisdom. And and so Agar talks about taking refuge in his wisdom. Am I taking refuge in God's wisdom? Am I I reading it and kind of putting it in my head and yet still somehow trying to provide my own refuge that's going to protect me? Am I resting in him? That's what we're being challenged to do. Are you resting in God's wisdom right now? Well, the challenge for us is that we run into a situation then we think, uh, I have been resting in God's wisdom, but now I need to kind of smooth it over. I need to somehow fix it because I don't like the way it's putting me into a box in this particular situation. And and there, we've already heard echoes of Job. Now we start to fall into the place of Job's friends. Take a look at verse 6. Agar warns, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. If you recall, Job's friends come to Job as Job saying, why are all these bad things happening to me? Why am I suffering so? And they think they understand how the universe works. They think they understand how God works. And so they say to him, well, clearly you've done something wrong. What you are facing is a clear result of your own sin. It's it's just point A to point B. The one causes the other. It's perfectly explainable. You're just too arrogant, Job. You don't understand we understand, we'll explain God to you. And in that, as they go on and on and on over the chapters that we find in the book of Job, they're adding tons and tons onto God's word. And and, and they're trying to take their wisdom and say it's God's wisdom. 
they're ultimately found to be liars. They're wrong. It's not why Job's suffering. And while Job is never told why he's suffering, he encounters God and God actually has him intercede for his friends who thought they could explain God. And the problem was they didn't understand their own foolishness. They were adding to God's word and we do the same thing. That's our second question tonight to think about, to, to examine our own lives with, which is, where am I adding to God's word? And you might say, but I don't add to God's word. I've read the end of Revelation and I understand it's really bad to add to God's word. I'm not going to add to God's word. But there are different ways that we fall into that trap. There, there's different ways that, that we think that we're, we're holding on to faithfulness in God's word and yet we're actually adding to it. The Pharisees, which we've been, been talking about a lot during our, our Sunday night series at Little Hills, added a lot to God's word. They wouldn't have put it that way. They would have said they were explaining God's word. But as they were doing it, they were creating more and more layers that were pulling away from the actual truth of God's word and allowing it to be twisted to be applied the way that they wanted it to be applied. Job's friends essentially were doing the same thing. They, they weren't wrong that sin often causes bad things to happen. They were wrong to say, this is exactly what God's doing in your life, Job. We understand it all. We can explain God to you. Now you're just too arrogant to repent. They didn't understand. They didn't have any proof that Job had done anything wrong. They just thought they understood the universe well enough to explain it all to him. And sometimes we do that too. Sometimes we, we read a part of God's word and, and we think we kind of understand it. We put the pieces together. That's not necessarily a bad thing at all. It's not bad to try to connect the pieces and understand how the whole of God's word works. That's what we do whenever we're studying it together. The problem is when instead of coming to God's word humbly and allowing it to constantly chip away at what we add to it, we start to hold on to the, thing, the explanations we've come up with, the particular interpretations we've come up with, even more strictly than we hold on to the actual words in the book. There's a million different ways we can do that. But what we need to do is check our hearts. Am I coming to God's word humbly enough that if the way that I've interpreted a passage for all my life isn't actually the way that God intends me to, that I can hear God's word and allow his spirit to refine me? Is that where I am or have I added to God's word by insisting? There's a comfort in recognizing we don't have to know everything. That if I come to a passage and I don't understand it, I can just pray over it and I can come to it and I can ask other people for their wisdom in it and I can approach it and allow God's word to shape me rather than trying to shape God's word. Imagine you walk into a master craftsman's workshop and, and you go in there and you find a giant toolbox and, and we can probably imagine those big metal toolboxes. I was going to bring one in that was my grandpa's actually for the illustration, but I didn't have a good place to even set it because it's so big. Uh, before I needed it. So I, I'm just going to ask you to imagine this, but imagine such a toolbox and you open it up and most of us can explain some of the tools in a toolbox. You see a hammer? Well, I understand a hammer. You see a clamp? I understand a clamp. You, you see one of those grippy things you can pick up stuff on the floor? Well, I understand one of those. I understand a screwdriver. I understand certain things, but, but then you start getting into the specialty tools. And I don't even know the names of a lot of them, but you you look at those things and, and sometimes we want to act like we know everything. We start using one of them and, and we're just using it terribly wrong and we're either going to break it or we're going to break what we're working on. We need to have the willingness, the humility to say, I don't understand all these tools in this toolbox. God, help me to understand it. 
That's what we need to do with his word because his word is that toolbox. All the tools that we need going through life are in here. The wisdom we need for life is in here. The problem is oftentimes we come in and act like we know what we're doing with it when we really need his spirit to direct us. Jesus doesn't ask us to know everything to be a Christian. If you're thinking tonight, well, someday I'd like to be a Christian, but, but I don't understand his word enough. He doesn't ask you to understand it fully. He asks you to trust him. And for those of us who have trusted him, he asks us to keep trusting him. We don't have to pretend, oh, I've been a Christian for two years or five years or 10 years or, or 50 years. And so now I need to act like I know everything because that's what's expected. Now, what Jesus calls us to do is to answer that question, who is he that's done these things? Who is his son? Isn't that interesting? The father and the son. The heavenly father and our savior, Jesus who has ascended and descended. And what's better? He sends the Spirit to help us so that as we come to him in humility, we can rest in his word and he'll guide us. As we go through the rest of this series and as we go through life, may that be our prayer that we allow him to guide us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, oftentimes I want to act like I know exactly what's in the toolbox and how to use it. It remind me time and again that I, I don't. And when I try to act that way, I end up just hurting myself or others. Lord, would you help me to have the humility to come before you and to ask you to show me how to use the tools of wisdom? Would you help me to hear your wisdom? Would you help your w- wisdom to, to crack open the places in my heart where, where I want to hold on to my wisdom instead? And, and that's my prayer for each of us tonight that we might recognize all you call us to do and what you call us to experience as wisdom in our lives is to trust in you, to trust in the Holy One, to trust in our Savior, to place our sins before you, and to allow you to refine us and to teach us, to make us more like you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this week has been encouraging to you as we started this series, and maybe it's even a little bit of a relief as it reminds each of us, we don't have to understand everything in God's word or in life. We just have to know the one who does. And if it has been an encouragement to you, I'd sure appreciate if you give it a like or a share that you subscribe to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page. Help us get the word out by sharing our social media. It really does make a difference. Well, next week, we'll pick back up on this series on Monday at 7 p.m. as we explore what Agar has to say about arrogance and being self-serving. It sounds like a, a topic that we probably don't want to think about, but it's really important that we do. In the meantime, I hope maybe you'll join us on Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. as we worship in person and online at Little Hills. Your choice. We'd love to have you in person or online. And, of course, throughout the week, we have things going on like men's Bible study. It's always great to have a new face there on Thursdays at 7 p.m. And we'll have our Psalm reading series over the weekend as well. So much going on. If you have any questions about how to get involved, if you have any prayer requests, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. It's a delight to hear from you. It's a delight to pray for you. We can encourage each other. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. And I can't wait to see you hopefully at some of these events and then here once again next week.